Welcome back to the Girl Scout Troop Leader Experience podcast. I am back with another international-oriented episode today, so this is pretty exciting for me, Um, and hopefully for you too. I hope you love these. Please let me know if you do. But in the meantime, I'm going to have my guest go ahead and introduce herself. Um, Tell us who you are, where you're from, what organization, um, and how are you involved with Girl Scouts or Girl Guides? Absolutely. So hi there. My name is Hannah Lonis. I live in Surrey, British Columbia, Canada. So just one country over from you. I have been involved in the organization for 14 years, 10 as a girl member and four as a leader. I'm currently running three separate units, um, one of five, six-year-olds, one of seven, eight, and one of nine, 10, 11. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about the organization. Let's start there and then we'll dig into your actual um, personal experience. What is like the promise, the law, the mission statement? What is the organization uh, kind of built around? What ideas there? Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, So for Girl Guides of Canada, our Going through the list, our vision is a better world by girls. So helping to create, um, you know, better communities locally, um, nationally and internationally. Our mission statement is to be a catalyst for girls empowering girls. So same kind of thing to help every girl to reach their uh, um, to reach their potential in whatever that might be for them. Our promise changes with each branch, actually, with each age group, Um, but for the most part, it's I promise to do my best to be true to myself, my beliefs, and Canada. I will take action for a better world and respect the guiding law. Once you get a little bit younger, that last line changes to um, the Brownie law, and then even younger for our littlest ones, the five and six-year-olds, their promise is I promise to share and be a friend. That seems much easier to remember if you're little. Um, I'm fascinated by this because the last interview that I just did, um, which of course, I don't know exactly how and when these are going to be released, but the last one that I just recorded was based in the UK and um, they shared that the promise there includes the queen in the US, our promise... (sighs) infamously if you listen to this podcast i'm sure you've thought about this and talked about it is um under god and um so i'm fascinated that in your version it is to canada that seems like a much a very just uh point blank like nothing super controversial there just to canada Yeah, absolutely. Um, It has changed in the past few years. Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember what our old one was, but I think our old one spoke spoke more to, um, you know, um, your faith and to uh, God and things like that. But Canada, um, uh, Canadian Girl Guides as an organization has been trying their best to work more on inclusivity and diversity over the last few years. So I know that was a big thing for them when looking at the promise was, is this promise um, inclusive of all of our girl members? Is it going to make everyone feel included in our organization? And so they wanted to change it to something that would represent every 
um, every child that came through our organization and every adult as well um, a little bit better. That makes total sense. Yeah. And um, we haven't really talked about this much on this podcast before, but our our version of addressing it is um, that you can change it to whatever most appropriately fits you slash your group of girls. But I think that's fair. But I also think that's a slight bit of a cop out if you ask me, which no one did, but I'm offering. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the structure. What are the age levels? What, what does that look like? What age levels are served and how are they broken down? Absolutely. So for our girl program, we run from about ages five to 17, 18-ish, basically once you finish high school. Our youngest group are called the Sparks. They are five and six years old. Brownies, who are seven and eight. Guides, who are nine, 10, 11. And then we move more into our teenagers. Pathfinders are 12, 13, 14. And Rangers are 14, 15, 16, 17, kind of up till you graduate high school there. Um, After that, you have the option to join as a leader if you want to, or to join what's called LINK. LINK um, is for members 18 to 30 who want to stay involved, but don't necessarily want to run a unit directly with the kids. Um, They kind of run their own little units in and amongst themselves. They do different activities. I'm part of LINK as well. And uh, we go on hikes sometimes. We have movie nights, things like that. After you finish in LINK, so if you're 30 plus but still want to be involved, um, you have the option to join Trefoil Guild, which is a very similar thing. They do their own camps, their own activities, um, but uh, it's a little uh, um, little more event-based as opposed to working directly with the units. Gotcha. Now, something that I found interesting, too, um, in speaking with someone in the UK is that in the US, um, we tend to most often, it's not always, but most often we stay with the same group of girls as they age up. But in the UK, um, my last guest was sharing that it's more common for volunteers to stay at the same level. And as the girls come in and come out, it's just based on level. So what does that typically look like in Canada? I think it really depends on the unit. So we have kind of two different streams. If you're a parent who's coming into the program with your child, usually you'll follow them up and through. You might start with them in one of the younger branches, Sparks or Brownies, and then continue up with them as they age. And then you have leaders like me who don't have any children in the program. um, And we're just here for the fun of it, basically, for the fun, helping the kids. We'll talk, we can talk more about that later as well. But uh, I personally have, uh, I personally mostly work with the younger branches. So I have done Sparks and Brownies, so like five to eight years old for the past few years. This past year, I've joined the guides, so the nine to 11 year olds, um, actually because the unit was going to be shut down, they lost their leaders. Um, But normally I just kind of let them come in and out as they age up. Um, So it really just depends on how. Um, what kind of your relationship is with the organization if you're there with someone or if you're there because you like working with a specific age. Yeah, that makes sense. And what do you think so far, uh, having had more of your experience being with younger girls and then going up into those kind of middle ages a little bit? What, how, how has that been for you? They scare me. 
Um, <laughs> I'm not used to working with that little bit older age. For me, in my um, uh, schooling and work history as well, I have worked in daycares and preschools, and I'm currently attending school for early childhood education. So most of my experience with children so far has been that kind of like younger to like eight years old type age. Um, however, the nine to 11 year olds have been bringing their own um, interesting challenges, but also a little more fun activities. Um, you can do a little bit more with them. Back a few weeks ago, we did a day camp called Firefly Jubilee, which was um, a national camp where everybody got to participate in their own little units, own little ways. And so we took our guides up for a day to a campsite near us and got to teach them about lighting fires, like using matches and uh, um, how to chop wood and how to set up um, temporary shelters with tarps and rope, things like that. So we got to do things that you don't necessarily get to do with the younger ones, a little more involved, a little more active. Um, so it's definitely been a learning curve for me getting used to uh, seeing the children more as, um, a little more in that equal, a little more as equals. You can talk to them a little more directly. You can ask them deeper questions. They usually have a little more insight into what you're doing. Um, so it's been definitely been a learning curve, but uh, I love them. They're so much fun. That's awesome. So you mentioned some kind of some activity things, but how would you describe a typical girl experience in your organization? What kind of activities, what kind of events, what kind of meetings, when, how often, how long, and what kind of badges do you have? Definitely. So this depends on the age level. Um, the younger branches, so the five to 11 year olds, usually meet once per week, where the teenagers can meet once a week, but some units choose to meet um, every couple weeks or every three weeks. It depends on how active they want to be. The program that Girl Guides, Can Girl Guides of Canada has is called Girls First, which was created from the perspective that children in the program need to have their say in what programming they do and what gets done. Um, so varying from age as well, the younger ones help with like picking specific meeting activities or maybe coming up with places to visit where the older ones fully plan out their year and what they want to accomplish. Um, back when I was in the teenage branches, my um, leader would just sit there with us and be like, all right, what are we doing for the next four months? Because if you don't plan it, we're just going to sit here. So it's really more about getting um, the kids more involved in what they want to do, really thinking about what's important to them. Our badge program is separated into eight different areas. I'll kind of like briefly go over them. Um, so Guide Together, which is about history of guiding, global initiatives, guiding in other countries. Into the Outdoors, which is your camping, environmental activism, things like that. Build Skills, which has you learning money skills, how-to skills like cooking, first aid, building and repairs. Then we have Explore Identities, which is looking at yourself and your interests, how others differ, diversity, looking at women in leadership roles, things like that. Next is Experiment and Create, which is your arts and science. Then Be Well, mental health, physical health, healthy relationships with others. Connect and Question, which is looking at the worlds from local communities, Canadian and international perspectives. And then take action, which is more activism, standing up for change, 
what at each level do they believe in? What are they passionate about? How can they use their voice to um, kind of make the chain, make those changes in the world? So for us, a typical meeting um, is working on some of those different badge areas, depending on what they want to get done. Um, we fill it in with some challenge badges as well, which are like fun ones you can get for completing uh, certain topics, like learning about fingerprinting and codes for a CSI challenge, or healthy living and movement for our Color Me Healthy that we have here in BC. Um, those you get like individual fun badges, you can put on a blanket, poncho, jacket, whatever you want to do with them. So we do a lot of badge work. We do a lot of, um, especially once they get older, we do a lot of um, things with the communities. So a lot more, we do a lot more community service projects. This could be working to um, make things for, what are some things we've done before? Um, we've sewn blankets for maternity wards at hospitals. We have made cards for um, the seniors' homes during COVID to bring a little bit of a smile to, uh, to some faces. We've collected party supplies for women's shelters so that children in those shelters can have a little bit of a birthday surprise. Um, so we do, uh, yeah, lots of, uh, lots of different things that happen at our meetings. We have lots of fun. We learn a lot about um, ourselves, the world around us, science, art, math, all those different kind of things. It, so much of this is so, so, so alike, even when the terminology is slightly different, like um, Girl First here is uh, Girl Led, and um, it, but it's the exact same idea. And I feel like a lot of the badge categories and stuff is so similar. And um, yeah, I love it. That's so fun. So with some of the badges that you were talking about that are kind of more, uh, I guess, fun oriented, like um, maybe uh, location oriented or uh, geographic programs or whatever, um, are these programs that would be available sort of on the internet that, you know, even somebody listening to this in the U.S., could we find batch programs or badge programs like that in throughout Canada if that looked interesting or it looked really applicable um is that are those requirements and stuff online absolutely they are so with how um, the Canadian system works is every province has their own um individual challenge badges that you can do so if you were to look up like girl guides of Canada challenge badges you can find lists of them online that have the information for what should be done for the challenge as well as um, um you know ordering and things like that if you did want to do it so i know for us personally uh here in canada we've done many challenges with our girls from uh, from england from new zealand i think we've done a couple from the states but i cannot remember what they were right now apologies um but uh, there's definitely a bunch out there that you can do. I know BC Council ourselves has anywhere between five and 10 at any given time. And they have some super fun badges that you can, uh, you can get along with them. We just did the Color Me Healthy Challenge, which was more like, um, you know, learning about healthy living, healthy eating, mental health, exercise and fitness, things like that with my sparks. 
and the badge that we got for it has a little strawberry that has a little face and it's kind of dancing around. It's super cute. So there's definitely lots of options out there if you want to uh, um, do any challenges from Canada. That's so fun. So challenge is the keyword we're looking for. Cause yeah, there's tons here. We have um, like fun patch programs. We have um, partnership programs. Uh, My little pony just did a, a patch program with GSUSA. And then we also have council's own where different parts of the country establish badge programs. And sometimes they're specific to that geographic area. And sometimes it's just a topic that's of interest that goes beyond what's already written into the nationwide program. But um, yeah, so I, I guess challenge then is that word that we're looking for. Yeah, challenge is the word that you're looking for. I think there are a few that are geographic based here. I know, especially the other side of the country, Quebec and Ontario used to have a few that were specific for um, like certain events that would happen or certain parks, um, things like that. But for the most part, I think most of them are pretty accessible. That's really fun. I'm going to look into that. And I'm sure there are other people listening who will want to look into that too, just because it's something different, just like we do um, council zone from different councils across the country, just looking for something fun to switch it up. Um, But let's talk about cookies because not all Girl Scouts and Girl Guides sell cookies, but this is something that we have in common. And although I have never had your mint chocolate flavor, I, or chocolate mint, what I think that's the right order. Anyways, same flavor profile. I love, love the sandwich cookies. So let's talk about cookies. What does your cookie program look like? How does it work? How does the money earning part work? How do you sell? Like, tell me all about it. Yeah, so we definitely uh, um, love our cookies here as well. We don't have quite as many as you do, as you said, but uh, um, we do have um, the chocolate mint ones, which we sell in the spring. And then in the fall, we have the chocolate and vanilla ones, which are more like that, yeah, sandwich cookie kind of Oreo style with the two cookies and then the cream in the middle. So for those ones, you get a row of vanilla and a row of chocolate in the same box. Um, For our cookie selling, usually we try to do some door-to-door selling days with the unit. So when they come in, we will take our kids out to a certain area. We all get assigned a little, uh, um, you know, section of uh, the city to go to. And we can go door-to-door, do our sales. It it really helps the children to learn more about um, kind of that (laughs) sales pitch, I guess. So that confidence of you know, approaching someone and selling our cookies. Um, It helps them with the money skills. It helps them with learning a little bit more about our community as we go around. Um, And then every family does get a couple of cases of cookies to take home and sell on their own as well. So for ourselves, um, for us, the cases have 12 boxes per case that they have to sell. So each child gets like 24, I think. Um, If you sell a bunch of them, though, we do have a special program here called Cookie All-Stars, which is essentially if you can sell a certain amount, you get special prizes. So that could be like $25 gift card to the movie theater. I think in previous years, they've had like um, electronics you can get. The highest one one year was like a bike or something if you sold a ridiculous amount of cookies. I've never been there. I've only ever reached like the 10 case, you know, uh, gift card to Cineplex or something like that for the movie theater. Um, But it does give them some incentive to uh, um, sell those uh, 
sell those cases as well. For us, 99% of the money we have for the unit through the year comes from cookies. So the more cookies we can sell, the more money we have to go do fun things. Um, and we actually have a rule with Girl Guides of Canada as well that any activities that you go to do, 25% of that must be fundraised through cookies. So if you're going to any camps, um, even as an individual to any national camps or anything, 25% of it has to be fundraised through cookies. And then um, you can either pay the rest or you can fundraise through things like bottle drives. Okay. So, so many questions. So first of all, I feel like to me, the way that our cookie season kind of looks, it sounds really intimidating to have two of them a year. It feels like basically as soon as you're coming down off of the intensity of one sale, you would be going into the next, but I guess I don't know how intense it really is. So here, the number of hours, like my, and again, cookie season varies all across the country, but in my area, cookie season is usually about six weeks long and um, we're probably putting in like on average I would think that the average volunteer I'm not going to speak to girl hours but the average volunteer is probably putting in between 50 and 200 hours of of time into cookie season in that in that span now for people who have longer cookie seasons it's probably a lot more hours and certainly some people go way harder than others so there's definitely some people who put in you know 50 hours a week during cookie season if they so choose but um so yeah so can you kind of give me some perspective for like how intense is it during your cookie seasons 50 hours a week is a lot. Oh my God, you guys. <laughs> I know some uh, people are really, really, they go hard. I, I don't, I mean, I, th I think I do a lot. I certainly feel like I put in my time, you know what I mean? But like, I just, my troop has never been, um, like kind of super seller oriented. So, and I also don't have a girl in the program. So very similar to you. I don't have any, any kids in the program. So it's just me. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, for us, it's not nearly that intense. <laughs> we um, usually for the average leader. So if you're not part of the, um, you know, shipping, receiving team, things like that, you would go pick up your cookies, store them at your house um, until your next meeting, at which point you would um, take, take them to the meeting. Each child would sign out their two or three or four, however many they want to take cases. Um, you plan your one or two cookie selling days with your unit. Sometimes we have cookie selling days with the district as well. So for us, we have it with our city um, where we'll go to like Walmart or another grocery store like that and sell outside of their front doors for a day or two. Uh, and then that's pretty much it. Once your cookies are gone, we're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> we'll do it again in a few months. So yeah, again, for perspective, this is really funny because um, that's maybe what 24 boxes per girl um, individually, right? And so here, um, right, because you said cases, two cases. Yeah, so 24 boxes. <laughs> yeah. So here um, in my council, we started a handful of years ago um, enforcing that 
that families can only take up to 20 cases at a time and then they have to make a payment before they can take more just to try to like manage the money but that's at a time (laughs) yeah no we uh i think the most i've ever had a girl take at a time was about six cases um all cookie money is due back at the end of the selling season so for us we had it um this year i think the end of october was our cutoff date and all money has to be back um sent to us at that point um it doesn't really matter how many cases you take out before then um it just all has to come back by one certain date um however i think the most i've yeah the most i've ever had at a time was one girl took six the most I've ever had over a season was I think I had a girl take 14 or 15 at one point, but yeah, so that, that that would be a huge difference. Um, and certainly again, it's going to totally vary by troop and area. Not everybody has that, um, restriction in place. And even here, um, it's not like viscerally enforced. It's just because it doesn't come up very often. I mean, how many families are really going to need to take more than that at a time, but, um, but it's more trying to protect the volunteer because obviously ultimately we don't want to be on the hook for like an extreme amount of money if that family never pays. Um, but I'm interested in this too, because this does make a difference. So, and I know Canadian dollars and U S dollars is not an exact exchange, but in the U S um, most troops are making in profit less than a dollar per box. And in some areas, it's like less than half a dollar, like less than 50 cents um, per box. It totally does vary depending on where you are. But so that is a big reason why in order to afford to do anything with that money, you have to sell like a lot of cookies. So how much does a unit make from selling cookies um that's a very good question that i'm actually looking up right now to figure out (laughs) um so generally yeah here we go so generally for our cookies uh, we sell them for five dollars a box so sixty dollars a case of that the unit gets twelve dollars and 25 cents so essentially like a dollar something a case okay so a case or sorry, sorry, apologies. A dollar something a box. A box. Okay, yeah, yeah. 12, I was like, 20, 12, wow, that a case. is sorry. crazy. Okay. No, 12.25 so, a case. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a, a little over a dollar a box. And again, I know the exchange rate's not the same. So for like what you can afford with that is not the same. But in US dollars, if a if a troop was making more than a dollar, a little bit more than a dollar a box or even a dollar a box, I think most troop leaders would be like grateful for that. So that definitely um does put a little bit into perspective for the difference in volume but yeah there are some areas and i i don't remember off the top of my head i could try to look it up but i think there are areas that are making like a fifth of a dollar per oh my gosh box and so just to make one dollar for your troop you'd have to sell almost half a case um and so in order, like your parameters, we don't have that, but in order to ha- to pay for 25% of a camping trip, you would have to lot, sell yeah. like a lot of boxes. Yeah. So, um, okay. That makes like quite a bit more sense. Yeah. We make twelve twenty five um, per case. So it, it is a little easier to fundraise that way. Um, 
another thing I just thought of for the earlier one too, uh, or for the earlier question as well. Um, do you have to pre-order cookies down there? Is that how it works? Oh my gosh. Well, it totally varies uh, place by place, but yeah, um, most people have some version of pre-ordering. So um, there's kind of two major ways that cookies are sold. And I'm I'm a little bit sorry to you for spending as much of this interview on cookies as we are, but also I know we're about to get into most people's cookie seasons down here at the time of recording. And so at the time that this airs, it's going to be hot on everyone's mind. So I it's super relevant. So thank you for your patience in that. But um so Anyway, um, there's kind of two business models that different councils go by. One of them is where the girls even take pre-orders. They have like an order card. They take the order card door to door. Um, Sometimes parents take those order cards to work, although that's not how the program's meant to work. It still actually does raise funds. So, I mean, it's successful. But um, And then people place an order. And when the cookies come in, they fill those orders. And then they also have a period of the season where they sell cookies that they already have Um, We call it in hand. Um, But a lot of councils have moved away from that model where they only sell cookies in hand. So you go door to door and you already have the cookies available to sell to the person that is maybe interested in ordering them. And we've actually seen that having cookies in hand, although it shortens the season, has made our uh, the councils who switched to that model, their sales went way up with a shorter season, which is like easier on everyone. But the troop leader still has to order cookies ahead. So like uh, you don't have to, but you can and it's easier. So um, I place I would place an order in my area in early December for they want you to try to project about 80 percent of what you anticipate your troop is going to sell that year um, in December. And then they arrive for initial orders um, in mid-January and then we have six weeks to sell them. And you can also go to what we call cookie cupboards, which is a really cute name, um, which is somebody's garage who has pallets and pallets of cookies, um, thousands and thousands of cookies at any given point. You go there to pick up more. Um, But that usually applies most to troop leaders who have been selling for a little bit because they kind of could project what 80% of their anticipated sales would be. If you're brand new, you would not know other than council helping you or like local volunteers helping you kind of estimate. Um, but it's a little bit of a guessing game. So yeah, that's more in line with kind of what we do down here as well. It's at the beginning of the season, we get an email saying, how many do you anticipate you're going to sell this year? And then we submit that number and that's how many show up for us. Um, this has been, I mean, goods or bads. Sometimes units will as, as it is a guessing game, sometimes units will overproject and then we'll end up with cases left over. Um, for this year with COVID, we have had unprecedented sales. Like my Sparks unit ordered 60 cases for 13 kids and we were sold out. I gave them all to them on Wednesday. We were sold out by Friday. Um, and I had to steal steal quote unquote um, cookie cases from my other two units to give to the spark families because they were still wanting more. Um, So it's uh, yeah, it's really hard to predict how the sales are going to go every year. You kind of have to go off of what was last year's. Could we go a little higher than that? A little lower. Um, So it uh, definitely makes it a guessing game. Yeah, I, that's 
very interesting because yeah, we always have that too. And um, as we get closer to the end of the season, um, council actually will really our council, our local area councils. I don't know what do you call them, like um, the Girl Scouts in BC versus the Girl Scouts on the other side of the country that you're talking about, or Girl Guides. How do you designate? Like, is there a name for that umbrella branch? <laughs> Uh, provincial council a council um, yeah okay yeah we have so. uh, we have our so our district which is like your immediate city um and then area which for us is i don't know the culmination of like 20 cities or something um and then province and then national okay i think so then i think that would give you sort of like an extra step compared to us here because I, we have um and they call them something different depending on where you are but like neighborhoods or service units or areas is um more like more like your city it's not necessarily aligned geographically with your city it could be some specific school districts it could be specific crossroads um like in my area i live in a very major city and we have um like gosh i don't know maybe 40 um neighborhoods or service units just in my metropolitan area it is technically multiple cities but like you know, it's Phoenix in Arizona. So it's like a, a massive metropolitan area. And, and then we have our council, which also is not necessarily directly linked to our state. Um, some states have multiple councils within them if they're huge states. And some states have, um, a, they share a council across state lines. And so it's like a little bit confusing. So yours seems like it's more straightforward. <laughs> A little bit. Um, I mean, as you said, borders are a little iffy sometimes. I know for, uh, um, I actually guide in the city next to where I live. So I guide in a city called Langley. And Langley, I believe, has two separate districts in it. Um, there's the one kind of up towards, uh, up towards where I live, that's a little more of your suburban area. And then there's another one a little further down that uh, is more of the historical area. So yeah, it, so that uh, sounds more similar. Yeah, kind of similar there too. Okay, so let's get into kind of more of the fun fond, this is why we do what we do conversation before we've been on here for too long. Um, so you mentioned that you were involved as a youth member growing up. Tell me a little bit about that. What was one of your favorite memories or some of your favorite memories about guiding as a kid? So this is one of my favorite things that I went through earlier when uh, I was pre-reading these questions was just trying to come up with even a short list of my favorite activities from guiding. Um, for me, guiding was a um, safe and fun place to kind of explore who I was, to learn some new skills, to meet new friends. Um, some of my favorite highlights from when I was uh, younger, um, I did a year of Sparks and a year of Brownies when I was six and seven. And then I actually left the program for a while because I didn't have a great experience in Brownies. Came back for my third year of guides and that third year we had an event called memories and more which if there's any canadians listening to this podcast will know exactly what i'm talking about because it was a nightmare um we had uh, um, an arena down in vancouver nearby us and we all piled into that arena for the 100th anniversary of girl guides of canada we did some songs we did some games we did some activities 
And then we were actually going to sleep over in the arena. But whoever was doing the planning for it had a little miscalculation on how much floor space you need to host that many girls. So there were people sleeping in the bathrooms. There were people sleeping on the staircases. There were units that were calling parents to come pick them up at two o'clock in the morning because they couldn't find anywhere to sleep. And I just remember I was 11 years old. It was my first year back after a while. My mom was one of my leaders as well. My younger sister was also in guiding. So she was there with me. And I just remember thinking that this was so much fun, even though it was chaos, even though everybody was super stressed, everybody was still in good spirits and was trying to help each other. Um, There were units that were, uh, um, you know, shuffling over to let a couple extra people from somewhere else sleep next to them and trying to keep, uh, um, you know, the bathroom lines moving as quickly as possible so everyone could uh, still uh, do what they needed to do. So that was kind of my first big memory from being back in guiding was just this sisterhood of like, we're all in this kind of terrible situation, but we're doing our best to still make it a fun experience. And most of the leaders were so fantastic at not letting us kids know that there was anything wrong. Um, So absolutely loved that. Um, Some other- Imagine- being one of the girls who was sleeping in the bathroom like that I know (laughs) I know we were very lucky that our leaders caught on that something was wrong and snuck out from the ceremony a little early so they did find us a little patch on the floor in a corner but uh no it was uh it was chaos (laughs) that's Um, hilarious I love it okay what else um some other fun ones um my first year of pathfinders when i was 12 years old my leader that i had um i want to ra- i want to rave about her in a little bit cuz she was fantastic but her big thing was she wanted to take us out to camp and do um this super fun camp weekend based on the movie troop beverly hills which she loved um so for that one it was basically about this group of um or this a troop of Girl Scouts in the States who were a little more unlike the posh fancy side. They didn't do outdoor camping. So they like, I can't remember the movie specifically, but I think they like set up a tent in a hotel room and things. So my leader um, brought us all over to her place to start off our camp. And we were greeted with a limo bus where we a bunch of 12 13 14 year olds got on a limo bus drove the 40 minutes out to our campsite where we were uh, staying in a cabin and we spent the weekend making like duct tape purses and doing like um, doing our nails and things like that and for me who's never been a huge girly girl i always loved you know the outdoor camping and the little more roughing it um this was just super fun to get to do something different um and then another one could be we went to a large camp here in 2011 that's called soar s-o-a-r they have them every few years they kind of bounce around the province a little bit and you spend a week in a field you get like a 20 by 20 section that you and your group get to live on for the week and you do different activities um so for me um my favorite memory from that was the final night when we had to be out at like 6 a.m and we didn't want to have to take down our tents at 6 a.m so we completely cleared our campsite and then we all slept in a row 
on a tarp under the stars for the entire night. And it was so fantastic just uh, being there and looking up at the, uh, we were in like more of the countryside of things. So it was super dark. You could see all the stars. All of us were lying in a row giggling away because we'd never done anything like that. Um, I think I think a lot of my favorite memories just come back to being in these different situations, these new fun situations, just with all these great people who uh, um, I got to meet. Some of them I'm still friends with. Some of them are actually co-leaders with me now um, that went through the program with me. So it's, uh, it's super fun. Yes, that is really cool. Um, I wanted to jump back to the um, posh weekend because that <laughs> super made me laugh. I was thinking about my girls that I have been fortunate enough to work with in my own troop, like present and past. Um, actually, I mean, there is not really a present present. Anybody who's been listening to this might be confused by that because um, you probably don't know this unless you secretly binged this podcast before getting on here, which I don't know why you would because it's not necessarily going to be a hundred percent relevant, but regardless, um, my troop just recently disbanded, which is really sad. So I'm like in between right now, but um, I have girls who um, absolutely prefer the roughing it and girls who absolutely prefer the indoors girly. And uh, I've shared a little bit about this, I think, on the podcast in the past, but um, we had been planning our first out of state trip together for my then sixth graders right before the pandemic happened. It was supposed to be that summer. Um, And so by now um, they were mid-year sixth grade now they're in eighth grade like that's how much time has passed but following sixth grade we were going to go to our first out-of-state trip together and we had been discussing what we were going to do so we could build out a budget and all all that and um i really let them take the lead on where they wanted to go and everything like that um and very much we talked about how much more affordable it would be if we camped we are we're a camping troop we would camp at least twice a year as a troop and most of the girls would go to summer camp on their own as well and um they just really insisted hotel, hotel, hotel. Like we will sell extra cookies. We'll do extra fundraisers, whatever it takes. Like we want to be in a hotel. Um, and even as we were getting closer to the trip actually happening, uh, which of course it didn't, but as it was getting closer to actually happening and that money thing just kept coming up and they insisted like we will cut everything else we don't even care if we don't actually leave the state like if we just want to get a hotel room together and kind of have a girly time yeah they were very much like we want a posh weekend so it's funny they loved camping though it was funny that uh made me think of them (laughs) yeah absolutely my uh my leader that uh, I mean, came up with the idea. Um, she was absolutely fantastic for that sort of thing. Just constantly like throwing little things like that at us. Of okay, we're gonna go up for a weekend to camp. Oh, here's a limo bus or uh, yeah, how um, fun things like that. She was. Uh, um, if you don't mind me getting sentimental for a minute here, <laughs> uh, always welcome. My, I had the same leader through all three years of pathfinders and all three years of rangers she took on both units so that she could follow us all the way up um when i first met her when i was 12 she was 25 so pretty young for taking on a group of teenagers um she walked into our first meeting slammed down her bucket and went 
of uh, you know of supplies and things, and went hi there. This is my name. I had an absolutely terrible night. My boyfriend broke up with me. I had to walk home alone down Granville Street, um, which is a big street down in Vancouver. Um, you know, I lost my shoes. It was raining. It was an absolutely terrible night. Anyway, how are all of you? How are you doing? So from the start, we were all like, oh, you know, this 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 cool woman who's going to like speak to us frankly and uh, you know won't hold things back because we're kids. <laughs> And uh, she ended up being one of our best friends and one of our greatest supports through our teens. Um, she was there for everything. She, uh, she stepped up to fight for some of my peers who were in bad family situations. Um, she attended school events as chaperones for a couple of the kids who didn't have parents who could do that kind of thing. Um, she... Um, actually, at one point, my father had a heart attack. He's totally fine now, but um, my he ended up in the hospital and my mom had to go stay with him. So my leader actually came and stayed with my sister and I overnight to make sure that we had somebody there if there was an emergency. Um, so that's she's a huge part of the reason that I'm still doing guiding tonight, like today is the that fact is that so special she went up to bat for all of us. She came to my high school graduation party. She was like, she was really part of the family for all of us for six years. And um, she's still in guiding now, 12 years later, she's running a couple units uh, out in her new city. So uh, um, that's fantastic. She's still in it and she's still helping um, young girls like that. But she, for me, was such a big part of, yeah, why I'm still doing this and seeing the difference that we make in the girls. And even though I don't work with teenagers, um, still getting to see that, uh, you know, that energy and how they're so curious and how we can help them maybe learn something new or even just give them a little bit of a fun experience if they're going through things at home. Um, she was really a big part of me learning that guiding guiding is for the girls. That's what we're there for is to help them feel safe, to help them have fun, to help them feel comfortable. Um, I don't think I would still be in guiding now if it wasn't for her. So I love this so much. And I just think that's so powerful. And I completely agree with where you're coming from that the opportunity to position myself, to be available, to take on a role like that in other girls' lives while they're going through the tough stuff and and the happy things too. Um, but the ins and outs of growing up, like that is why it's so important to me and why I'll be involved in forever in the movement as well. So I just that's really cool. Thank you for sharing. Okay. Um, what is one of your proudest moments as a volunteer? So this is actually great timing on this question because um, one of my absolute proudest moments as a volunteer um, actually happened last night at our meeting at the time of this recording. Um, one of my brownies was completing a badge on leadership and wanted to run a meeting as part of that leadership. So I offered if she wanted to come and run um, my spark meeting for this week, the little bit younger girls. So I said that I needed a plan for what she wanted to do a list of supplies for crafts or games. And then um, I wanted her to do a presentation on what brownies is like. So for our sparks moving up in age next year, um, they'd have a little bit of an idea. And she absolutely blew me away, walked into the meeting, 
immediately started introducing herself to the Sparks, watched them run around for a little bit, and then went, hmm, they have too much energy. And she gave a couple little claps, and she's like, all right, children, we're going to play Simon Says now. Um, led them in this game of Simon Says. We started the meeting, and she started leading a craft that she had planned. And as she's running through it and showing it around, she's walking through the uh, crowd of girls and being like, oh, that's lovely. Or, oh, I really like the colors you chose for this piece. Um, even just in the past year, like last year, she's not been one of our shy kids, but she's definitely been a little quieter, a little more um, of following the pack. So for this year, just seeing her acting like her own little leader, there was no guidance. She just completely did it on her own. Um, and then she finished the meeting by coming up to me and giving me a little piece of art she had made and said, thanks for all your help today. You did great. Um, so I came home crying last night and that, the art's up on my fridge now, but I've just been like, that's why we do this. Just that, you know, this kid felt comfortable enough to step up, to take on 15 children who are younger than her, um, to run her activity, to answer questions, to lead. Um, it was I, oh, I was so proud. <laughs> I love that so much. And I don't know if anybody else feels like this that's listening, but I feel like that energy is infectious and it just makes me immediately want to um, just go do Girl Scout things. So the girls are just incredible, like truly incredible. I love it. They're so, oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't even have any words. I came home stunned last night. <laughs> they, they do those little, they do those little things that you're just like, you knew that they had it in them, but being able to see them step into that full potential and being able to kind of come into themselves with that confidence. Um, it's magical. <laughs> so I have two more for you. They're my favorite questions of the bunch. Um, the last interview that I had, and I've heard something similar before, um, for people who go all the way through and then stay involved as volunteers and don't necessarily have like a break where they then choose to come back, this might be a little bit challenging. So um, I'm going to elaborate on it. But Girl Scouting and guiding doesn't just help girls grow. It's for adults to grow, too. So I want to know one way that you feel your life is impacted or changed through the experience of volunteering. And I'm going to just kind of elaborate that um, I realize that guiding has been an impact in your life ongoing. But if you think about kind of what your current lifestyle would be like if guiding wasn't part of it, then maybe that will help kind of uh, formulate uh, an answer. But what do you think? So for me, guiding this year has been extremely important. Um, last November, I had COVID and it wasn't an intensely serious case to begin with. I was never hospitalized or anything, but I am at my one year anniversary of still having symptoms this month. Um, I'm having major issues with nerve pain, with fatigue, with headaches, with hearing, smell and taste, all those kind of things. And for me this past year, guiding has also become my safe place of, I know that on my, um, on my Wednesdays and Thursday nights, I get to go, I get to spend time with these children and you know, quite often I learn as much as they do about uh, whatever we're, uh, whatever the topic is for that day and getting to be around that positivity and that, um, 
yeah, that positivity and just that desire to learn and desire to explore. Um, it's been a huge help for my mental health this year, um, kind of realizing that, you know, you can find, even, even if things seem really terrible, you can find joy in those little situations. Like, for example, last night, um, we were making uh, little, like, kitty crafts, I guess, with my, with my brownie. Um, she had like paper plates and like did them up with googly eyes and whiskers and things for the sparks. So like pretty basic craft, but a couple of my sparks came running over and we're like, look, 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 I picked a blue tail. And they were so excited that they picked this blue tail instead of any of the other colors. Um, so just kind of realizing that, you know, you get to, yeah, see that joy in anything and that, um, especially looking through their eyes, everything is so exciting at that age. Um, the emotions are big. The sadness is big. The excitement is big. Um, so getting to kind of go on the, that journey with them and to explore um, has been uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely a treasure this year. <laughs> okay. That is an, a phenomenal answer. Um, and I feel like it kind of, answer is my last one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What does guiding mean to you? How do I do a nice, like clean summarization of this guiding, (laughs) guiding to me is that sisterhood. And I know that's something that we find is, we find quite cliche here of that whole like, oh, guiding is a sisterhood. We're all together. But it really is this past year, both from the leaders who have stepped up to help me to cover my unit, to um, suggest things for me. Um, this past year, I stepped up and took over the Spark unit as well. My mom and I co-run the uh, Brownie and the Guide unit, which is the coolest thing ever. Highly recommend running a unit with your mom. Um, but I took over the Spark unit and just having the, everyone else be so excited for me and being willing to uh, answer questions questions like, yes, this is how you fill out this form, or this is how the cookie season works. Um, As well as giving that, you know, emotional support, that mental support for dealing with it all. And then having the kids as well. um, They're part of that sisterhood and getting to build those relationships with them of they know that they can come to you for anything that we're going to have a fun time today. This is going to be a time to take away all their stress. Um, but at the same time, me going in and knowing that um, I get to help them in a little way, which is such a privilege, and that um, I get to pass on, <laughs> I wouldn't say wisdom, I'm only 23, but <laughs> pass on my wisdom as well is uh, um, such a cool experience that I don't think you get in many other places. Guiding has really created this environment where everyone's helping each other and it's yeah it's just such a positive experience i love it i love it thank you <laughs> so so much for your time i will not take up any more of it but i really appreciate that we got the chance to meet and i got to hear a little bit from you about your experiences and memories and um it just really drives home for me how much alike 
this movement is and how important this movement is globally in the same ways, no matter where you're located, no matter the structure of the organization, no matter what color the uniforms are, what the different grade levels or age levels are called or like that stuff is interesting to learn about the differences. But to me, the way the reason why I'm structuring these interviews in this order is because I think the beauty and the power of this movement um it's in the similarities. And so I just love that. And I really, really am grateful for your time today. So thanks for coming to hang out with me. Well, thanks very much. This was super fun to kind of reflect on everything and to hear a little bit about uh, scouting in the U.S. as well. Yeah, well, we have three years of podcast <laughs> episodes if you want to hear a lot more. Yeah, I'm going to have to go find it now. I uh, I purposely didn't listen because I'm like, I kind of want to go into it just like with no expectations and just see what happens. But uh, I'll have yeah, to well, go especially, find it now. Especially because at the time that we're recording this, there are no um, really comparable interviews to this on there yet. Um, but I have a couple things up my sleeve, kind of similar, like this, this sort of idea of going outside, like everything has been a really, um, kind of internal, uh, inward facing, um, episode so far on the podcast it's always been interviewing somebody from within the organization pretty much or myself um talking about the organization specifically the research that exists within the organization specifically but there's so many resources out there that can help us that are external and so I've got a lot up my sleeve so I think it'll be really interesting and um, I do know that Canada is the next after the U.S. is the next most popular country to listen to the podcast so I don't know if those are U.S. people listening from Canada or if there are girl guide people listening in Canada so if you're in Canada and you're a a listener who's been listening, recurring to this podcast, let me know. I want to say hi. And also, um, whenever you all have those sandwich cookies, I want to buy sandwich cookies from as many units as I can. I will pay for shipping. So <laughs> um, and I'm sure I have <laughs> listeners who want them too. So anyway, let's wrap this up for now. But thank you so much. And um, for those listening, we'll talk to you next week.